Hi everyone, welcome to episode 16 of our study on the book of Romans. We're in chapter 11 and today we're looking at verses 28 to 32. In a few moments there are going to be two questions up on your screen. Please use them as a basis for discussion and we'll answer those questions during the course of today's episode. So if you could hit pause and spend some time together and then I'll come back to you. Well, welcome back. Um, I hope you had some good discussion. Let's just do a brief recap of what Paul has been saying in chapter 11. He has been saying that most Israelites have rejected God by refusing to submit to his way of salvation. But does the fact that most of Israelites, most of Israel has rejected God mean that God has rejected the Israelites? No, this is not the case. Paul tells us that there is a remnant that God has not rejected because he's chosen them. Then we ask the question, well, why did God harden some and choose others? Well, it's all been part of his plan. Uh, He wanted the gospel to be taken to the Gentiles. And because most Jews rejected the gospel, the early church took the gospel to the Gentiles. But there's more to this plan because God wants Israel to see the blessing that has come to the Gentiles and for that to cause jealousy. Remember, jealousy is not necessarily a bad thing. If the thing that we're envious of is um, due to us and also if it's good for us. And so at some stage in the future, the, the Israel as a nation will suddenly just wake up to the fact that the Gentiles have been blessed and they haven't, and they will want to come back. But then Paul asks the question, well, is that possible? I mean, is, is Israel actually beyond recovery or not? And he says, no, they're not beyond recovery. <laughs> it's possible for them to be grafted in again. And he uses the analogy of the olive tree to teach this particular truth. In fact, he says that not only is it possible for them to recover, it is also certain. A hardening of most Israelites will continue throughout the ages until the full number of Gentiles have come in and then he predicts all Israel will be saved through the deliverer, namely Jesus Christ. And when he says all Israel, he's referring to a mass turning of Israel to God. Israel as a nation will do it. It doesn't necessarily mean that absolutely every individual will, but the nation will be characterized by turning back to God. Today we ask the question, why will God save Israel? Why will God save Israel? And in answering this question, we'll also see why God saves us as well. And he does it because of his calling and election. We see that in verses 28 and 29, and also in his mercy, uh, verses 30 to 32. So these verses, verses 28 to 32, form a very succinct um, summary of what Paul has already said. And they also answer the question, why will God save Israel? So let's look, first of all, at the reason why he does it, because of calling and election. Look at verse 28 and just have a look to see what it summarizes. There are two subjects under consideration here as regards the gospel. There's the one subject as regards election. 
there's the second subject. Let's have a look at the first subject. He says, as regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. So concerning the gospel, Paul writes, they are enemies for your sake. Who were enemies? Well, the Jews that have rejected God's mean means of salvation. Why are they enemies and who are they enemies of? Because they've rejected God's means of salvation, they're now under God's judgment. And so they are his enemies. But as we've learned, their rejection was part of God's plan, part of his purpose. It's been for your sake. They are enemies for your sake, for the sake of Gentile believers. Since most Jews stumbled over Christ, the gospel was taken to the Gentiles. So there's the first subject. What about the second subject, the subject of election? However, what we've just talked about doesn't mean that Israel has been rejected by God. Because of election, it says here in verse 28, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. What does that mean? Well, God chose Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the forefathers of the Jewish nation, and he chose them to be the recipients of his love. He loved them, and God's love was displayed to the patriarchs through the fact that he chose them to be his special people, and he made promises to them, promises to bless them, but also their ancestors. And so for the sake of the promises that God made to the patriarchs, their descendants are loved by God. Why is that the case? Well, the answer is in verse 29. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Once God has given gifts, he doesn't take them back again. Once God has called, he doesn't reverse his calling. He doesn't reject those that he has elected. And so we come to this conclusion that since Israel is God's chosen nation, God will one day save all Israel. But there's another reason why God will save all of Israel, and it has to do with his mercy. This concept of mercy is emphasized so strongly. Just look at how many times the word is used in verses 30 to 31. And then also in verse 32, as well. So as we look at verses 30 to, 2, 30 to 32, just keep in mind how they complete the summary of uh, what Paul has already said and also how they answer the question why God will save all of Israel. In verses 30 and 31, we have a comparison between Gentile Christians and rebellious Israel. So I'm going to put up a table there which you'll be able to read. On the one hand we have Gentile Christians, on the other hand we have rebellious Israel. This is all based on verses 30 and 31. Both Gentile Christians and rebellious Israel are disobedient. The Gentile Christians at one time were disobedient to God before they submitted to his means of salvation. And rebellious Israel have now been disobedient because over the ages, the bulk of them have rejected God. Gentile Christians have received mercy. You have now received mercy as a result of rebellious Israel's disobedience. But on the other hand, rebellious Israel also 
receive mercy by the mercy shown to you, the Gentile Christians, because they will look one day, they'll wake up to the fact that all these Gentile people are receiving the blessings of God and they still have a means of receiving those blessings. So, the Gentile Christians were at one time disobedient to God, but now they're not. Why? Because they've obeyed the gospel message. Notice that they've received mercy through the gospel, which was preached to them because most of Israel refused to obey the gospel message. Where would we be, folks, without God's mercy? How would it have come to us if Israel's disobedience had not caused the apostles and the early church to take the gospel to the non-Jews? At the present time, most of Israel is disobedient, but they may now receive mercy. How? By the mercy shown to Gentile Christians. In other words, all Israel will be saved when they receive the mercy of God and they will return to receive this mercy because they are jealous of the blessings God has shown Gentile Christians. And Paul then writes one last sweeping summary statement. He said, For God has consigned all to disobedience, that he may have mercy on all. Folks, this reminds us of what Paul says in Romans 3 verses 9 to 11. He says, What then? Are we Jews any better off? Not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, and that encompasses everybody on earth because the Greeks represent the Gentiles. All of us are under sin. As it is written, no one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. When God does not intervene, a terrible thing happens when God doesn't get involved in our lives. And what happens is that both Jews and Gentiles end up disobeying him. And so he consigns them all to disobedience when he doesn't intervene. And his reason for doing this is that he may have mercy on both Jews and Gentiles. And he shows his mercy by intervening. And his intervention comes in the form of election and calling people from both groups. And therefore, Gentiles are saved on exactly the same basis as all of Israel. It is all due to God's election, to his calling, and then, as we've seen in this last um, section, his mercy. I'd like you to pause and take a break for a moment. Uh, there will be two questions up on your screen for discussion, and we'll get back together in a few moments. Welcome back. I'd like to raise two particular issues that come from this passage. The first one is to do with evangelism of Jews. Folks, Jewish people have always been the victims of persecution. For the last 2,000 years, and unfortunately, much of this persecution has come from the so-called church. For example, during the Crusades, the Crusaders were incredibly cruel to Jews. And then, shockingly, Hitler actually used the writings of Martin Luther. He was the, one of the founders of the Protestant Reformation, 
such an amazing man in many ways. But Hitler used his writings to stir up anti-Semitism because Martin Luther often leveled in writing vicious insults at the Jews. And then, of course, the Holocaust came, and this was the most appalling example of Jewish persecution of all time. And on the basis of that background, John Stott writes the following, and I'll, I'll quote him directly. He says, it is understandable that since the Holocaust, Jews have demanded an end to Christian missionary activity among them, and that many Christians have felt embarrassed about continuing it. It is even mooted that Jewish evangelism is an unacceptable form of anti-Semitism. So as a result of that, some Christians have tried to develop a theological basis for leaving the Jews alone in their Judaism and arguing that Jews will still be saved according to the Old Covenant. And of course, Romans 11 opposes this, this trend by insisting that there is only one olive tree to which both Jews and Gentile believers belong. There's only the one true. There aren't two tracks to salvation. There is only one track. There is only one tree. Gentiles are saved by being grafted into it. Jews who refuse to submit to God's means of salvation are cut away from it, but they can be grafted back in again, but not into some other tree, not remaining in some different tree. We're all grafted into the same tree. This is what Paul wrote earlier in chapter 10, verses 9 to 12. He said, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That is there, right there in a nutshell, God's means of salvation. Why? Because with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, listen to this, everyone, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, blessing his riches on all who call on him. And then also, right at the start of the letter, Paul nails his, his colors to the mast when he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ. That's what the gospel is. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Isn't it ironic that fear of appearing anti-Semitic would lead you to do the one thing that Paul would actually consider the worst form of anti-Semitism, a reluctance to preach the gospel to the Jews. You know, in fact, fear of appearing intolerant or arrogant could stop us from evangelizing people of other religions. But we mustn't stop. Other religions do not provide an alternative route to God. And folks, this, this leads us to the other issue that sometimes arises uh, from today's text. And, and this is to do with universalism, the belief that God will save everyone. Any, everyone who is ever born, everyone who is going to live will be saved. And people use verse 32, they take it out of context, to argue for universalism. Verse 32 says, For God has consigned all to disobedience, that he may have mercy on all. It seems to imply that he's going to have mercy on everybody. But that's misuse of the verse. 
How do we counter that? Well, first of all, a literal translation of the Greek um, would be, for God has consigned the all. The, the article is there in the Greek. It's not there in the English. God has consigned the all to disobedience, that he may have mercy on the all. He's referring to two different group, groups here. He's referring to Jews and Gentiles. God treats the all, meaning both groups, the same. We could say that he has consigned the both and has had mercy on the both. And so we can see that in the context of the letter, Paul treats both groups the same. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. There's no difference in sin. Chapter 3, verse 9. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. We have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. There's no difference in salvation. Chapter 10, verse 12. Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call him. And so a good way to summarize this, and this is a direct quotation from a theologian called F.F. F. Bruce, is that God has mercy on all men without distinction rather than on all without exception. God has mercy on all men without distinction rather than on all without exception. So let's just tie this all up. What conclusion have we come to? Why did God save all of Israel? He did it. Because, or why will God save all of Israel? I beg your pardon. He'll do it because of his calling and election, number one. And he will do it because he is a merciful God. And the cool thing is that he will save you for the same reasons. He will save you because he has elected you. And that election is made certain through his calling. And it is all because he has taken mercy on you for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then the other thing that we learn today is that we should never be ashamed of the gospel. We must keep on evangelizing because it's the most loving thing that we can do for another person or people group or religion or culture. We're not saying that we should be anti the culture of other people. We're simply saying that some aspects of culture are good and some aspects of culture are bad. And so it is the gospel that comes in and redeems the culture. We're not rejecting the culture. We're simply saying that the only way to God is through Jesus Christ. We can't say that each religion, each culture is establishing its own route to God. It doesn't matter which route you take. No, we can't say that. There is only one means by which man may be saved. And that is through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as we have been discussing today. So I hope this has been a useful um, uh, episode for you. Um, just continue to pray that God will bless you as individuals and also in your group as well. And we look forward to spending time with you again in the near future. Goodbye for now.